Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> My name is Frank Pugh. I'm one of the uh, ruling elders here at Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. Uh, about once every other year, uh, Dave Silvernail calls on uh, us to preach. Uh, I think he wants us to remember how it feels like so that we can know what it's like to prepare for this week to week. Um, but uh, I'll be bringing God's word to us here this morning. Um, our, we'll be starting a sermon series, new sermon series today. We're finished with uh, Deuteronomy, and we're going to have a topical se uh, sermon series for the next few weeks this summer on first things. First things dealing with time and perspective and importance. Uh, I won't list out all the sermons, but we'll have things like seek first and know first and understand first, recognize first, proclaim first, pray first. Who's on first? Oh, okay, all right, not that last one. Uh, but our sermon this morning is inquire first. Inquire first. So uh, let's uh, inquire of the Lord for his help this morning first. Uh, so please pray with me. Father God, we turn to your word this morning uh, because we need it. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth would be faithful to, to you, to your word, to the Holy Spirit that inspired it. And I pray that hearts here this morning would be receptive to hear what you say through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I read a biography on Dwight Eisenhower, uh, who was, of course, general in World War II, but he was president in the 1950s. Uh, and apparently, uh, there was uh, uh, some Christians in his cabinet who asked, and they regularly then, uh, had a silent prayer before cabinet meetings. And uh, one day, uh, Ike was in a hurry probably had a golf game lined up after the cabinet meeting. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't pause for the prayer. And someone slipped him a note about it. And he looks down, sees the note, says, blankety blank, we forgot the prayer. So, <laughs> it's kind of revealing of Ike's attitude about the whole thing anyways, right? Um, we're going to have a whole sermon on prayer, uh, pray first. Uh, inquire first is perhaps a subset of prayer first, uh, perhaps a particular aspect of prayer. It is perhaps looking at and praying for God's will in a specific context. Or how should I act in a particular moment or situation? When do people ask questions like this? Well, really, when they don't know. We ask when we don't know. We need information. We need wisdom often. Men, we are notorious for not asking directions 
when we're lost driving automobiles, right? Some, now this may be pre-GPS, I'm not sure, but some studies showed that men drive 276 extra miles per year when they're lost. And a lot of that, the wife might have been sitting next to them, said, I told you so, I told you so. Well, ladies, don't get too. You lost 255 miles <laughs> while you were lost. But I want to bring our passage today, we'll turn to that more specifically in a moment, uh, is from Second Chronicles chapter 18. It's also a story that's found in 1 Kings chapter 22. It's a story about the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, and Ahab, king of Israel. They have formed an alliance and are fixing to go to war against their neighbor Syria. And as they're consorting, Jehoshaphat pauses and says, uh, wait a minute, before we go to battle, don't you think we ought to inquire first? So this is a long, detailed, and somewhat confusing chapter with a lot going on and a lot of different people. There is also a lot of context that we can't get into in a sermon series. We're not doing a expository focus on this passage. We could probably get about three sermons out of this passage if we did just an expository style at it. But suffice it to say that we have two kings, 400 false prophets, a messenger, and one true prophet. There is even a glimpse of God's heavenly counsel. But the story starts with an inquiry. So let's go to the passage, and uh, it doesn't need to be up there if it's not. We'll, because I'm going to be skipping around. I'm not going to read the, pa the whole passage here at first. I'm just going to read as we go through. <clears throat> so this is Second Chronicles chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honors. And he made uh, a marriage alliance with Ahab. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are, my people as you are. We will, be at, we will be with you in war. And Jehoshaphat said to the king, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Now this just didn't come out of the blue, so I'm going to set some context for this. We need to know something about it because these characters, Ahab, Jehoshaphat, and the other people we will meet here, are somewhat obscure to the 21st century. This story is set in the 9th century BC, some 100 years after Solomon, uh, but after the kingdom had been divided in two. Judah, the southern kingdom, ended up being the smaller, only two tribes, and the poorer of the two kingdoms, economically poorer anyways. 
Israel was the larger, it had 10 tribes, and was more economically prosperous. But it was plagued by constant military coups and dynastic turnovers. However, Judah had the Davidic line of kings, of whom Jehoshaphat was one. And they held more or less to the worship of Yahweh centered at the temple in Jerusalem. Spiritually, Israel, the northern kingdom, was founded in rebellion against God. From its beginning, they built alternate worship sites and its people did not go to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was not just the, the place of worship, it was whom they worshiped. The sin of Jeroboam, the first king of uh, Israel, was to set up fertility sites and fertility calves at alternate worship sites and proclaim them to be the one true God who had brought the people out of Egypt. This all came to a head uh, in, with Ahab. They, worshiped these, they began worshiping the Canaanite gods and all that came to a head with Ahab and especially after his marriage to the Phoenician woman Jezebel. Jezebel was definitively not an Israelite, and she brought her Canaanite worship with her. In many, respect, in many respects, the worship came to be syncretized or blended with the, with the two, with the two uh, cultures. And throughout its existence, Israel, the northern kingdom, never had a king who led his people back to the worship of the one true God notwithstanding some of the most prominent prophets of the Old Testament. Any true repentance would have led them to have torn down the syncretistic worship places and to return to the true worship at Jerusalem. It never happened. Even after Elijah's famous showdown with Ahab's prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, so in the early years after uh, Solomon, the two kingdoms fought. And they could, but by the time we get to our story, Judah's fortunes had brightened. We saw that, that Jehoshaphat had become prosperous. Uh, Judah benefited from the reigns of two fairly good kings committed to the worship of, of Yahweh and ridding the land of idolatry. And that would be Asa, and Jehoshaphat, his son, who is one of the central characters in our story. But even with that, as we read those verses, there are some ominous notes. Jehoshaphat is seeking an alliance with Ahab. Our people are one, he says. Perhaps Jehoshaphat yearned to see a reunited kingdom, and he made a marriage arrangement with Ahab to marry his son to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And this woman, 50 years later, almost single-handedly wiped out Jehoshaphat's lineage and almost wiped out the line of David. And would have done so had, it not, had God not sovereignly used the efforts of a heroic priest and his wife. We also see that there's a military alliance here in our passage, 
And there was to be another one later with, uh, between Jehoshaphat and one of Ahab's sons. And finally, there would be an economic venture, shipbuilding. And that, too, ended in disaster. Alas, bad company corrupts good morals. The more immediate context of our story is that it was Ahab's unfinished war with Syria for territory on the east side of the Jordan. In a prior chapter, Ahab had shown mercy to the king of Syria at a time <clears throat> when God sent him to execute his judgment. The king of Syria had promised to turn over this territory to Ahab, but he reneged, and then he died without doing so. And so now Ahab has to go back and fight for it. And meanwhile, God, through his prophets, has announced various curses on Ahab. And he was doomed. We don't know whether Jehoshaphat was aware of those prophecies. We don't know for sure, but he indeed hitched his wagon to an evil man. And we will later hear what God has to say about that. So back to the asking. We get glimpses, if we look back in the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, that there are really many times when kings, especially David, would make these inquiries before he went to battle. Or sometimes, why is there this famine? There would be these inquiries to God. Those inquiries really go back all the way to the days of Judges and even Joshua. How did they go about it? How did they inquire? about God, to God. Well, they prayed, okay? Now, they only had the written law, the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, and that's an important thing, but it was no, by no means a complete revelation of God's Word as, we, as it came, as eventually has come to be. So they looked and they listened to the Word of God often through special revelation. And this was delivered oftentimes through a priest or a prophet. Sometimes the inquiry was made through the mysterious Urim and Thummim, a jeweled breastplate worn by the priests. Sometimes we wish we had some kind of access to God like that, some sort of special revelation where God would just lighten the skies for us or send us a priest or send us some word. But that's really a bit of a trap. We know that we, we have now the entirety of God's written word. And that's the place where we need to look for what God has to say in our day. And often the Bible speaks louder and fuller than we really know. So ask when you don't know. Sometimes we need to ask even when we think we know. So you go back to our stories of Joshua, which uh, our sermon series from uh, about a year and a half ago. Joshua had been given direct counsel from God when he crossed the Jordan and defeated Jericho. But at times after that, there was this sort of, I got this attitude and uh, when uh, Joshua went to fight the next battle against Ai, well, things didn't work out so good. And then, he, and then, eventually, only after losing two battles at Ai, does he go and inquire of God. 
And then even a couple of chapters later, there's uh, people who approach Joshua who are Canaanites uh, that are supposed to be wiped out, but they duped Joshua and they duped the elders. And God primarily faulted Joshua in chapter 9 of that book. So the men took some of the Gibeonites' provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and a covenant with them and let them live. Now that was a big mistake. The failing to inquire of God and pray, even in the ordinary course of life, can be evidence of our presumptuousness. So pray even when we think we know. Now when we inquire and when we ask, we need to ask the right questions for the right reasons. Sometimes we don't ask with the right attitude and that leads to asking the wrong questions. Ecclesiastes says, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Now that's really for us old people, right? Oh, remember back the good old days, back when, you know, things were a lot easier. Well, don't ask. That's our sin, to ask questions like that. And we need to ask for the right reasons. James says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Mm. We need to ask the right questions. I mean, this harkens back to the old folk song from the 60s, right? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh, that's part of the pro prosperity gospel too. We ask the wrong things. We ask to consume it on our passions. And then our passage brings us to the issue of asking the right person. In Psalm 1, the very first in beginning of the Psalms, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, should we ask Siri? How about Google? Should we ask Google? How about professionals? We can ask professionals. We can ask doctors medical questions, right? And we can ask lawyers lawyer legal questions, right? You know, in fact, if you ask the same question to different professionals, you might get different answers. Like, if you ask the question, how much is two plus two? If you ask that to a doctor, You'll say, well, according to the latest studies published in the New England Journal of Medicine, 
And uh, based on all the scientific data gathered today, two plus two is four. If you ask an accountant, he'll say, well, according to generally accepted accounting principles consistently applied, two plus two is four. And an engineer, well, now, it used to be they would get out their slide rule and, and calculate a while, and it, two plus two is four. If you ask a lawyer, <laughs> that lawyer will get up, go across the room and close the door and say, how much do you want it to be? <laughs> we ask experts. We have come to live, according to the Wall Street Journal, in the time of expertocracy, a rule by experts. And we've seen that during the pandemic, have we not? Oh, we've got to ask the scientific experts about this or that. And it's necessary and appropriate to make those inquiries, but we've also seen how much experts disagree. Catherine and I were recently on a trip out uh, to the uh, various national parks in the southwest part of the country, and they were let, the trip was kind of guided by some uh, couple of um, geologists uh, type people. They were experts. They're fairly young. They're probably in 30, early 30s, I would say. And these younger guys often poo-pooed how the experts from prior years had done their work and about certain things like forestry management and fire control. And I couldn't help but think, you know, Give it another 30, 40 years, and what will those experts be saying about what you're doing? Experts, well, we live in a world today where even a U.S. Supreme Court justice can't figure out what a woman is without consulting an expert. That's sad. It is sad. At some point, we need to ask and ask the right person. We ask parents, we ask people that we trust, we ask for people, the information and experience from people that are, are more experienced than we are, and maybe at some point we might even get around to asking God. So let's turn back to our story. Let's pick up in verse 5 of chapter 18 of 2 Chronicles. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. 400 men and said to them, shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not another prophet of the Lord who may, we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there is yet one man whom we may require of the Lord, Micaiah, son of Imla, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, no, 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 let, let the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. And let me pause here because the next verses are not what comes chronologically next. They're a little going into depth of what we just read. So we're kind of going back over the same ground a little bit. 
So starting verse 9, now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor of the entrance to the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before him. And now we get into the details. And Zedekiah, son of Janiah, made himself horns of iron and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets said so. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hands of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets are in one accord and are all favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered, Oh, go on up. They will be given into your hand. And the king said, Now how many times shall I have to make you swear that you will speak nothing but the truth when it comes to the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master, no king. Let each return to his own home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now that's a wild and almost comical scene. And I use some inflection and voices there because I think that's what the text actually reads. That, uh, the, uh, the Micaiah actually engages in sarcasm in the course of his response to Ahab. Oh, yeah, go on up there, Ahab. You win, yeah, you know, just like all these other guys say, right? And Ahab is, knows that that's not what uh, Micaiah really wants or means. That's not the real word from the Lord. So give it to me straight, Micaiah, and he does. 400 prophets were just yes men who will tell Ahab whatever he wants to hear. Jehoshaphat wants a real prophet. And somehow, even Ahab knows that those 400 are not true prophets. And there's this one guy who is his conscience, and he will speak the truth. In our world today, there are many who claim to speak in the Lord's name. False prophets plagued the Old Testament. False teachers plagued the New Testament. And they plague us today. Experts, others, for those of you who are under 30, let me just say, there are people in our world today who are telling you all sorts of lies about sexuality. The Bible speaks very clearly on issues of sexuality, but you, when you go to 
college, oh, wait a minute, high school, middle school, you're going to get a very different message than what the Bible has to say on that subject. And parents, when they come home, they will accuse you sometimes. And we're going and parents and brothers and siblings, you're going to have to be strong in those circumstances. I know. I've been there. We're going through it. So, the next point is wait for the answer. When God speaks, wait, or when you inquire of the Lord, wait for the answer. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but I'll go back and talk about the, old, the first king of Israel, Saul. In 1 Samuel, we hear a story of when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim and Thummim or by the prophets. And then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium and I'll go and inquire of her. So King Saul inquired, but he couldn't wait for God's reply. He sought eventually the answer in the wrong places. Saul's dilemma is common and understandable. He was in a tight spot. Time was not on his side, and he needed to hear from God now. He went through all the right known proper channels to reach out to God, and God was silent. So what do we do when that happens? Well, when Saul turned to the palm reader, he revealed his heart. In his frustration and his impatience, he turned to a non-faith answer. Waiting is hard. It requires faith. So then, when you do get an answer from God, it might be important to follow it. You think? Well, let's go to the next part of our story. And I'm going to skip a, a part of our passage that uh, is totally interesting but for time constraints, I'm not going to keep you here till 6 o'clock today, I don't reckon. So I'm going to say, you, we could deal with all this vision of Micaiah talking about how the false prophets got their message from, the, from God who sent a spirit of lying to his prophets. To kind of, that, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? So I'll skip that part, and we'll go down to 2 Chronicles 18, starting verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Hadn't the prophet just told them that's a disaster? They went up. And the king, get this, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. 
Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And as soon as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Aha, it is the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord. And the Lord helped him. God drew, away, drew them away from him. For as soon as the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale and the armor breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I'm wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians till evening. Then at sunset he died. So, they receive the answer, and they go to battle anyways. Now, sometimes as a lawyer, I have those clients who consciously or unconsciously reject my advice. And that's not to say that I know everything there is to know about the law. And people are entitled to their second opinions. But sometimes I've even had a client come back a second time and I have to give them the same advice I gave them the first time. And then they're shocked when they get a bill for it. <laughs> sometimes people come to the session seeking godly counsel, and sometimes that counsel is taken, and sometimes it's rejected. So, in, sec in our story, 2 Chronicles 18, God's true prophet, whose counsel had been sought specifically, brought God's word, and they go to battle anyways. Jehoshaphat, what are you thinking, buddy? He seems to defer to Ahab no matter what. That would not only just go into battle in the first place, but this crazy scheme to draw away enemy fire. Here, Jehoshaphat, you go out there with this big target on you. It's like he's put a post-it note on the back that says, kick me. You know, I think if Ahab had been selling uh, car warranties, uh, Jehoshaphat would have given him his account number. Uh, Adam and Eve, what were you thinking? Y'all had it made in the garden, didn't you? They had God's word too. God came and he, committed, he gave his direct command and he walked with them in the garden on a regular basis. When I fall into sin, what am I thinking? I've got God's word. I, after all these years, I ought to know it. When we sin like this, folks, R.C. Sproul says that we are functionally atheists. There's just this point in time when we turn off, it's not just our brains, but we turn off our hearts and we follow something that's leading us into sin. Now as for Ahab, he must have believed Micaiah's prophecy at some level because he takes all these precautionary measures, right? He thinks he can escape God's judgment 
with a clever foil. He can hide from the Syrians, but God's arrow always finds its target. And Ahab perishes as prophesied. Now, fortunately, we also have many good examples of people receiving God's word and following it in the Bible. Doing that requires faith because the just live by faith. Just a years later, Josiah, King Josiah, whom Frank mentioned in the sermon last week, finds the law and he was humble and he accepted that from God's hand and they repented. Old Testament and New Testament believers forsake all in great peril, many times persecuted, sometimes even martyred for their faith, and they are shining examples of those who live by faith. We have a whole chapter in Hebrews 11 about Old Testament heroes dedicated to such examples. Micaiah, even in our story, is a prophet who brought God's word faithfully, even at great cost. And we didn't read this part, but he ends up getting jailed and fed on bread and water. What a fate for bringing God's word. On the other hand, there was the rich young ruler who asked perhaps the most important question of all time to the most important person of all time. What must I do to be saved? And he rejected Jesus' counsel. His heart was revealed, and he went away from Jesus saddened. So back to our story. In the midst of the battle disaster, Jehoshaphat cries out to God for God's relief, and God graciously intervenes on Jehoshaphat's behalf. You might be in a tight spot right now in your life. Maybe you know what God's word said, but you have not heeded it or you drifted away from it. Maybe you're under the influence of the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices. But your story is not over. Think of Samson, who was a man whose life was a total disaster in many ways. Wrong choice after wrong choice, especially when it came to women. But in the end, he calls out to God in faith one last time for strength. And God answers. And Samson is listed in that hall of faith. In downtown Leesburg, uh, along King Street, uh, near the bike path, not too far from y'all's house, Bakers, there's, uh, I think it's a man's, man's handwriting. Uh, there's a whiteboard. A man puts up a message on a whiteboard. Uh, he changes it from time to time. And a couple of weeks ago, I walked by there. And it said, no matter how far you go in the wrong direction, you can always turn around. It might not be easy, and there may be consequences for having traveled so far, 
But there's always God's grace. Psalm 107 is a story of four people, four types of people who go astray. I'll read one section of it. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent his word, and he healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So friends, here's the gospel. It's not too late to repent. There is no sin which you have committed that is too big for God to forgive. Has sin and foolishness got you in a hard spot? Don't keep running. Turn, cry to the Lord. He delivers. Christ died for our sins and our foolishness. Confess, and he forgives. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. So there's a final assessment at the end of our story. It actually spills over into chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles. After his narrow escape, Josh Fett goes back home and he gets a rare message. Josh Fett, king of Judah, returns safely to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, that's the prophet, went out to meet him and said to the king Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out from you, from, against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherahs of the land, the idols, and you have set your heart to seek God. Well, how would you like to get a spiritual assessment after a rough day? When you look intently into God's word, when you inquire first, what happens? The word of God can be like a mirror revealing our lives. 
It should leave us to cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Is your heart set to seek God? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So let's pray. Father God, we confess and we ask first for forgiveness. We ask for your hand to be upon us, to be gracious to us. We need your guidance in these perilous days. Give us, please, your grace to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.